0: Welcome back to the Gobble Em Up podcast, an official podcast of the Fifth Quarter Network presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. Now, here's your host, Carter Hill.
1: Yo, what's up, Hokies? Welcome into episode 57 of the Gobble Em Up podcast. And yes, I did have to look that up part of the fifth quarter sports network and presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. Do you need a new or pre-owned car? If so, head on over to Duncan in Blacksburg. I drive a Mazda around town and I absolutely love it. So if you want to shake things up, go get you a Mazda. Duncan will take care of you over there on 460 business in Blacksburg. You can find some of their new and pre-owned selection vehicles at DuncanMazda.net. So check them out if you're in the market for a new or pre-owned car. Whether you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform, we thank you all so, so much for joining us. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, go ahead and subscribe and give us a rating. We would so greatly appreciate it. In case you forgot. My name's Carter Hill. I cover Virginia Tech football and Virginia Tech athletics for fifth quarter for 3304 Sports and for the Tech Lunch Pail. And joining me today, as you will for the most part, all year long, is Jack Brizendine, who also covers Virginia Tech football for 3304 Sports, our student sports journalism program over at Virginia Tech. So Jack, thanks so much for coming on, man.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me i've also covered wrestling for tech sideline i do a little bit of women's basketball for three or four a while ago i did lacrosse but um still get my feet wet in the writing writing about virginia tech athletics
1: well that's what i was going to ask you and before we really get into things how was your summer because i know you spent it bartending back in richmond you're a second year vet bartending for the richmond flying squirrels
0: yeah it's great i mean you have some interesting nights people try to fight last call it's <laughs> it's a lot of, I would say it's more of a people, people job than it is anything else. Just talking to people and sort of accommodating to them, but now it's a good time. Good money. Enjoy it. Love being at a baseball field for the summer. Well, you make some good money too. Like you mentioned, we were talking about
1: it at PKs the other day, and it's almost like you, you can put in your resume now, like in your bio, you're a bartender. If you want to get technical in the San Francisco Giants organization. So maybe you'll get the call up soon and be bartending at Oracle Park in San Francisco.
0: Yeah, one can only hope.
1: <laughs> yeah, one can only hope, right? The tips would go up a lot then, plus like the beer is just what so much more expensive. It's up to like what fifteen bucks at big league games now. It's crazy, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I know for us, we're only double A in Richmond, but it's like twelve fifty for like a a, a big guy.
1: <laughs> well, Thirsty Thursday, right? That's that's your time to capitalize. Is it one dollar beers over there?
0: Uh for us, it's two on Fridays.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha.
0: We don't we don't mess around with thirsty Thirsty Thursdays.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can imagine for sure. I can imagine for sure. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to a game there. I just have never had the the opportunity to, but definitely you'll have to maybe hook me up with some tickets next year because I absolutely want to go.
0: Yeah, we will do, we will do.
1: So you make the drive in from, you're from Shore Pump originally?
0: Uh, a little outside of Shore Pump. I, I went to soccer high school for those listening who are from the 804 area, um, sort of outside Innsbruck, between Innsbruck and like the city of Richmond.
1: Well, on the baseball topic too, you know, before we got on this, I don't know if you're watching, the Rays almost threw a perfect game today. I turn on the TV to watch it on Massing because, of course, we're in the – technically, we're in the Baltimore sports market when it comes to TV, and I turn on the TV, and I'm tuning in. I saw Jeff Passon tweet that out, whatever he tweeted out, and I was like, all right, I'm going to tune in and watch the final inning to see if it's going to happen because, like, who would not want to watch a perfect game, right? And so I turned it on, and the first pitch I see, Jorge Mateo, line drive, double down the third baseline, and I am heartbroken because, like, what, well, <laughs> perfect game in, like, over 10 years or something? Like, it just doesn't happen very often. Max Scherzer almost did it with the Nationals at one time, strike away or something like that, and the guy leaned in. So I know you're Nats guy, so we won't talk about that, I guess, because yeah. <laughs> some tough times over in D.C., but, you know, you got the World Championship out of it, so that certainly certainly fits. So reminder to follow us on Twitter, my personal Twitter at CBHill underscore 03. You can follow our fifth quarter Virginia Tech Twitter, which is at FQ Virginia Tech. And then, I mean, we've got a couple others too. 3304 Sports at 3304 Sports. Pretty self-explanatory there. And then Jack, go ahead and plug yours too.
0: For me, I am at Jack JackPeebers9, just one full word. So you can follow Jack for tech football, women's basketball, and of course, tech wrestling
1: coverage. I know you're, you're big into that and big over in the TSO world. Also transcribing tech talk live too. I've, I've heard plenty of stories about that. So
0: <laughs> luckily well, I believe I'm retired from that.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. Cause I remember when we went down to the ACC women's basketball tournament in Greensboro, you had to just stuff that thing in the closet in the hotel room. And I don't know what you use. I don't know if you use Otter or whatever, but yeah. It was Otter. An otter, otter kit. Kit. Yep. To transcribe <laughs> it. And yeah, I can imagine that's. Not the most fun thing to do, but you certainly help out the viewers over there. So I'm sure they appreciate that. Plus, like Tech Sideline, great opportunity for sure. Well, we do have a great slate plan for you today. Going to talk about. Media Day for Virginia Tech football, which took place this past Wednesday. Of course, the season opener at Old Dominion on Friday, September 2nd, just a little bit under three weeks away. Our early impressions and our practice thoughts, Jack and I have been lucky enough to attend a couple of Virginia Tech football practices. We'll give our thoughts there. Then we're going to go into our preseason pick thoughts. You know, the media poll was a little bit interesting in some ways, so we'll talk about that. Position by position previews, a lot of them are figured out a lot of them there were major question marks so certainly a lot to talk about there go game by game give our season predictions go game by game and win loss win loss we'll chalk it up how we see fit and then we'll give our opinions on what will be a good year for Virginia Tech football because a lot of people have different opinions on that going into Brent Price first season so with that Jack I want to get right into it so media day was this past Wednesday I was in attendance you were still moving into your apartment but I know you've been able to keep up with everything that's been going on and been looking at everything for sure kind of what were your thoughts you know there weren't a lot of new storylines except we do have a clear answer when Virginia Tech is going to name their starting quarterback
0: yep and that'll be sometime I believe in the next coming days as Brent Price it'll be next week which we're now on Sunday of what is the Week following that. So, I expect an announcement probably in the next couple of days. Um, and it's probably looking like it's going to be Grant Wells. But the one thing for me that really stood out of Media Day outside of that news was just sort of the energy that Brent Price sort of gave off when he was speaking. Um, he emphasized that, you know, he has fun uh, being the head coach of the team and that that's something that he wants to carry over. And that's something that's been a big reason why he's been a part of football. And I thought that was kind of refreshing um, just because. You know, although he sort of echoed that sort of sentiment the entire time that he's been here since he was hired, uh, it's more of a new attitude for the program. So that kind of stuck out to me. um, And it seemed like something that that the team is really going to build itself around is sort of that having fun while also working hard mentality.
1: No, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of quarterbacks wise. You know, of course, that's the big storyline. Everybody's always like, well, who's going to be our starting quarterback? Last year, you flip back a year, the final year of the Justin Fuente regime. It was pretty set in stone that it was going to be Braxton Burmeister. But the years prior to that, it was always who's going to be the starting quarterback. That was the big question. Really, since the moment Fuente stepped foot on campus in 2016, it was between Brendan Motley and Gerard Evans, of course, who ended up winning that job and set multiple records at Virginia Tech. And then Josh Jackson, who was a true freshman that year, who ended up being the start of the following season. So it was a little bit refreshing. I don't know if it's the right word, but it was a familiar sight to see Virginia Tech have to decide who's going to be their starting quarterback. I think it's going to be Grant Wells too. I was going to pose that question to you, but Look, I mean, both guys are very accomplished quarterbacks at different places, right? And that's something Virginia Tech was severely lacking last year. Braxton Burmeister was a decent quarterback at Virginia Tech and probably didn't deserve a lot of hate that he got just because he was such a warrior all year long. But there's no depth behind him. I mean, you had Knox Kadem, who's now at, FCS McNeese State that says a lot. Connor Blumberg is no longer a quarterback, still obviously with the program, but he's no longer a quarterback, and Braxton Burmeister obviously has gone home to San Diego State. Grant Wells meanwhile threw for under, for over, I should say, 3500 yards a year ago at Marshall, and yes, it's the Group of 5 level. He was the first, I'm seeing if I can remember this off the top of my head, he was the first quarterback in Conference USA history to be on the first team all-conference USA list after the 2020 season. He's a two-year starter there, highly accomplished quarterback, broke all sorts of school and conference records as well for – just two seasons that he was there so he's obviously bringing a much-needed wealth of experience to Virginia Tech and then on the flip side you got Jason Brown who again I think Grant Wells is going to be the starter but when you bring in a guy like Jason Brown who started four games South Carolina last year in the SEC led him to big-time wins over Florida and Auburn and really was instrumental in leading the Gamecocks to their first bowl game since 2018 under Shane Beamer that's pretty good. So when you have two options like that, that can heavily contribute at this level. And you know, they can contribute at this level. Virginia tech is going to be in good hands nonetheless. And like I said, Grant Wells, I think is going to be the starter, but you're not exactly going to be. If Jason Brown's your backup, you're feeling pretty good too, because Jason Brown, you know, can contribute, but I mean, you look at, and we'll talk about this later, but you look at who Grant Wells is throwing to in practice. He's throwing mainly with the ones Jason Brown right behind them. So Grant Wells looks like it's going to be the guy, but Jason Brown better be ready too, because you know that he can contribute for sure. And then on top of that, the things that stood out to me, you mentioned the energy, and obviously that's been the big cliche since Brent Pry arrived on campus. The two that really stood out to me, I thought Tyler Bowen and Chris Barr were so well spoken. Like I could listen to those two guys talk for a long, long time. Like Tyler Bowen seems to be well liked with the team, with the media, with the donors, with the fan base already, just the way he. Puts Virginia Tech football in a public light. And they know that too. They know that them talking and communicating like that does that for the program. Chris Marv was the one I had not really heard him speak very, very much. You know, he's a rookie defensive coordinator, really good player at Vanderbilt. That's his connection to Brent Pry. comes over from Florida State where he was the linebackers coach has never been a defensive coordinator. And, you know, I think he's going to be slowly molding into that role. But I could listen to him talk for hours. I mean, he kept on talking about I think it was Aaron McFarland of the run up times. Who asked him about his love for reading and chris marv talked about that's what has made him in a way a better football coach to this point so those two guys really stood out to me you can see how they're very very popular in the room because of course you hear coach pride but when you hear those two guys who are assistants and of course high level assistants talk and communicate like that you're feeling pretty good so i certainly thought that stood out to me for sure mentioned the quarterbacks a couple other positions too it seemed like pry and company dropped a couple of tea leaves on who's going to be playing where you know he mentioned as the starting kicker which is maybe not the position that comes to mind of course like tech has a, a place kicking competition for the first time since 2014 when Joey Sly won it since then it's been a pretty main staple in Blacksburg the past few years it was Joey Sly until 2017 then you know obviously you had Brian Johnson, and both those guys are kickers in the NFL. And then John Parker Romo just seemed to deal with the New Orleans Saints and had a really good year last year after a a little bit of a shaky start. So now it's going to be, you know, for the first time, you're seeing some competition. William Ross, Coastal Carolina transfer, he's the guy who, Stu Holt, the special teams coordinator, mentioned as the guy who has been participating with the ones. And then John Love, a true freshman, is participating with the twos, and both guys were five-star kicking prospects at high school. So there's some potential there, but of course there is some unknown. So those are some little things that stood out to me. You know, he dropped some tea leaves on the punt returning game. He mentioned that Dwayne Lofton and DJ Harvey were leading the pack there. And he mentioned DJ Harvey just a little bit more. And then on top of that, he dropped a little bit about who's going to be slotted in that second defensive end slot to compliment Taiwan Garbett, whether it be CJ McCray, or whether it be Cole Nelson or Jalen Griffin. So there certainly were some takeaways there for sure. But Jack, I'm gonna kind of use this to to preface what we're talking about next. You, You touched on the energy side of things. And I want this to continue to coincide with our media day conversation. We went to, we've been to one practice together so far. And I said to you, I've been a couple, that was the best one we've been to, or that I've been to. And I said that the energy was obviously off the charts. There seems to be a big difference. And we talk about this staff with the energy is different. And when you see it in practice, you know, it's not fake. I I just kind of want to ask you about your thoughts going to practice the other day and kind of talk about the overall vibe before we dive into some specifics.
0: Yeah, I thought it was really encouraging just to see that, um, just see how guys were. I mean, it looked like guys, for the most part, were running to the next drill they had to do. Coaches were shouting out orders and guys were immediately picking up on them but at certain times it was you know veteran guys sort of getting some of the young guys in line and I think that's kind of the thing that that kind of that kind of um, style kind of embodies what this team what this team I think has been saying all offseason that wants to do is is sort of have And Brent been echoing that same sentiment of building leaders and having leaders on this team to sort of just lead the team. And you saw that in practice. And like you mentioned, when you see it in practice, it means it's for real because they're not doing it. There's no fans there. They're not doing it for show cameras, whatever. Um, So that was one thing that I saw. And then also it just looked like a lot of the drills were pretty physically demanding, which obviously that's sounds like a given, but I mean, they were interesting drills. Like I know the one drill that we saw with the cornerbacks, it looked like they were like ducking under like a pole and then going out to the ball. So trying to sort of perfect those, those skills at intercepting, maybe not the the nicest passes and stuff like that. And obviously you can't prepare for everything, but preparing for the worst kind of um, preparing for every sort of thing that an offense can throw at you on the defensive side and stuff like that. I think that those kind of things are going to help you be as prepared as you can for when game time rolls around.
1: Well, and specifically with the energy too, we saw coach pry walking around going position group by position group. And we saw, him, you know, joke a little bit with some of the guys as well as he was wandering around the Beamer Lawson indoor practice facility. And it's tough because I'm not one to compare a ton, but we didn't see any of Justin Fuente's practices. So we can't compare what it was there. And you, you said that to me in person, it would have been nice to, to see what his practices were like. We haven't gotten a glimpse of that. So it's tough to, it's tough to tell how different they really are. But the energy just seemed, it seemed real. I mean, Mark Packer, when they came here for the ACC network talked about just the intensity and the energy level was arguably the highest that he had seen across all the schools that he had gone to within the ACC so far. And you knew that coach Pry and his staff were going to bring that, but he really stood out to me. I thought Derek Jones watching him, the cornerbacks coach was really, really fun too, because he just, you know, he calls all his guys cheetahs and whatever, like, he just was having a time with those guys in terms of the drills he was running, getting in their face, getting on them, encouraging them, jumping on their backs, celebrating with them. That was the other thing too. You know, you've read reports about how they weren't allowed to celebrate under the past regime and practice. We saw a ton of celebration when something went right for a position group, especially when they went against each other. I look at the linebackers. There was that one time, and I think David Cunningham and Andy Bitter put it on Twitter where the linebackers were going up against i don't know if it was titans or running backs that's escaping me but i can't remember who made the play but somebody made this insane play and the entire linebacking corps just went nuts dax olive is up in there jumping up and down you know popping guys up and around like chest bumping stuff like that and it was little things like that that certainly stood out to me that is nice to see when you know you you can look behind the curtain so Obviously, Dax is known as an energetic leader. We saw that yelling consistently throughout practice, even when he's running to his next station with the rest of the guys, like, let's go, y'all, like, just hyping everybody up. So it's cool to see that behind the scenes. And, you know, we've talked about his staff and I've gotten to observe a good chunk of those guys in practice so far and they're all pretty similar in terms of the energy and the intensity level mentioned Derek jones fontel mines the wide receivers coaches like that as well tyler bowen the offensive coordinator and they all it seems like they all share similar traits than i guess they all share similar traits to what coach pry i guess seems to to put out there every single day so that certainly had to be something that came to mind when he put together this staff and i mentioned it you know I think this is a really good staff and we weren't planning to go into this, but Hey, that's what podcasting is all about. So I want to kind of get your thoughts. Cause again, I haven't done a podcast since December. It just kind of got a lot with school and everything. The staff, I, I really, I really, really like it. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on that overall as well.
0: Yeah. I thought it was really, like I said, I mean, even though we were only out there for like a half hour, it looked really, really encouraging just to see the way that the guys were interacting with the staff and the way the coach player dynamic seemed seems like a really it seemed like it was healthy competition because guys coaches specifically were testing guys and guys were stepping up to the challenge and that's something that you really want to see and one thing I will point out is you know just to build sort of on the energy thing I mean this is we were on practice that I think it was two days ago now and today's the 14th I mean that's early August practice I mean no one really wants to be there in the grand scheme of things as far I mean it's hard to be at those those summer practices and it seems like every guy was you know was responding immediately to their coaches had fun energy during their drills I mean that's the kind of thing that you want to see and I think that's a reflection on what the guys think of their coaches and the sort of dynamic that there are that there is between them and that's not something that's just there by accident like that's a dynamic that you build through um Mutual respect for one another. So I that was one thing that I just sort of picked up on, specifically on the practice that we went to.
1: Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree with you. And I think, again, I really like the staff that Brent Price put together. I don't know how much of an effect it will have this year in terms of the on-field performance, just because of the personnel they have, once they get some of their own guys in here recruiting-wise, I think they're really going to make a difference. And again, not to segue and go back and forth, but I mean, I love the staff hirings from the get-go. You know, you look at who Coach Bry brought in on the defensive side of the ball, and I like how they all mesh really really well together because some of those guys were hired to recruit, some of them were hired to develop, and some of those guys have certainly been there before. We talked about Chris Marv, talked about Derek Jones, Pearson Prelo is a guy who's obviously been there before at Virginia Tech who's going to be the safeties coach. He's never been a full-time coach before. But he's that guy that can seem to glue it all together as well, J.C. Price. Of course, everybody knows the story with J.C. Price last year after the UVA game. You know, like this is my school. This is home. You know, put it on a T-shirt. And he's still out there anchoring the defensive line. And then you had a guy like Sean Quinn who has head coaching experience and seems to be a a good general manager of all things. And you can complement him with Chris Marv, a linebackers coach as well. And they can recruit pretty well. And obviously you got. Coach Pry, who's a linebacker's, you know, of course he's a defensive guy, but he's a linebacker's guru. That's his background. So I really like that side of the ball as well from a staff standpoint and the offensive side as well. I mean, Fontel Mines, of course, played at UVA, was a really good player there, knows the state of Virginia extremely well recruiting wise, you know, with his ties to, to Richmond and the University of Richmond, where he's coached before. I believe he's coached at JMU before too, coached at ODU, and now obviously at Virginia Tech. So I think he'll be able to really recruit well on that side of the ball. Joe Rudolph is a guy who just is so experienced from a staff standpoint, coaching up the offensive line. Spent a lot of really good years at Wisconsin, years before that at Pitt. So that was one of those slam dunk hires for me. Stu Holt, the special teams coordinator, running backs coach, has a lot of experience coaching at Appalachian State, a really good group of five program. And then in the ACC with Louisville the past two years. And then you go around the field even more, Brad Glenn, the quarterback's coach, was the offensive coordinator at Georgia State last year. So he theoretically takes a demotion to do what he's doing over here at Tech. And then Tyler Bowen, you know, obviously offensive coordinator, tight ends coach. I guess some people's concern is he's never been a full-time offensive coordinator at this level. He's been an OC at Fordham, filled in at OC for a couple games at Penn State, was the tight ends coach with the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. But he seems like another young up-and-coming guy, who is really, really going to fit in well here. He's got the Penn State connection with Coach Bry, as does a lot of the support staff members. I mean, you look at guys like Michael Hazel, who has come on. You look at Dwight Galt, who has that connection. He was at ODU this past year, but he has that connection to Penn State. I think overall, things are looking pretty good from a staff standpoint. And then you look at the analyst side of things, too. You you bring in Xavier DB, who obviously was this just insane player here at Virginia Tech. Then you bring on a couple others as well. Kayshawn Jarrett was supposed to stick around before he took the cornerbacks coaching job at Howard and FCS school up at Washington, D.C., but that room is pretty full, too, and with all the money and enhancements that have been put into Virginia Tech football as of late, especially with the whole Reach for Excellence campaign and everything, like the Hokies are pretty well set up, and that is going to allow them to expand their resources and and increase their staff as well. All right. I didn't mean to go too down a rabbit hole with that, but definitely wanted to address some of those things as they kind of came up because all those things kind of sparked in my mind when we were talking about practice. But I want to, I want to, I want to get your thoughts on the ACC preseason poll. First off, before we go through it, here's my take on this. And I got to be careful, but I don't know if you agree. I really think if you are going to vote in the preseason poll, for acc football you need to attach your name and your affiliation because in what world jack is georgia tech going to win the acc coastal in what world is boston college going to win the acc atlantic also last year a coastal chaos how do you feel about that
0: uh i kind of just prefer the structure of the 355 just the OCD, I guess in me, it likes that it's planned out, uh, years in advance, but I mean, obviously you're going to miss just sort of the chaos for lack of a better word, I guess, of coastal chaos. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I prefer the three, five, five, just cause it does set, set in some matchups. I'm going to miss some of the early matchups that we've had in the past. Um, but it is what it is. And I guess we'll see, I, you never really know until it's implemented How and I think some people might, might really like it who, who've kind of reacted poorly to it, but let's uh let's get into this preseason poll a little more
1: (laughs) oh yeah you're curious right you're curious yeah no i mean i'm sad to see coastal chaos going away but also like i love the 355 model i think it's gonna be so much better for the conference i hate to see the miami game go annually but overall no i think it's good all right acc preseason poll projected to win the atlantic division Clemson, right behind them, NC State. Wake Forest is picked third, Louisville fourth, Florida State fifth, Boston College sixth, and Syracuse is picked seventh. Clemson with 111 first place votes, NC State with 44, Wake with six, Florida State with two, and BC with one. On the other hand, Miami picked one win the coastal division with 98 first place votes, Pitt is picked second with 38. Carolina third at 18, UVA fourth at six. Virginia Tech is picked fifth with three first place votes. Georgia Tech picked sixth with don't know how, but a first place vote. And then Duke is picked seventh. What are your thoughts on where the Hokies are?
0: Uh, I think it's appropriate. You know, I would say that any range between four through six, I would say is appropriate. So naturally at five, um, I don't really see anything too outrageous about it. Um, but I think that this team is kind of a walking question mark just with all the unknowns going into the season. I mean, I, like we've said earlier, like we probably have an idea of who the starting quarterback is going to be, but new quarterback, new head coach, I think five, five is an appropriate spot for the team given what happened last year and the, um, the unknown coming into this season. Who
1: would you pick to win the coastal? If you had a vote.
0: Uh, I would probably say Miami. I think, um, I think Pitt and Carolina will compete a little bit with them, but, you know, Pitt obviously lost their starting quarterback, lost some good pieces that, that they had last year. And Miami, you know, I just think that their talent is going to propel them a little bit more than some of the other teams that are in the coastal.
1: What about the Atlantic?
0: The Atlantic, I think, I, I think Clemson could really be challenged by NC state and that's not just because NC state obviously edged him out uh, last year, but you know, Clemson, I think, I think has been trying to survive after, sort of just crumbling a little bit the last, last year. And I think NC state just as far as a program is, is sort of on the rise and I could see them kind of sneaking up from behind them and, and taking that crown. But right now, safely, I'd have to go with Clemson. Just so,
1: of- yeah, yeah. So I will agree. I think Miami will win the coastal. I actually am going to pick NC state to win the Atlantic. And I think NC state's going to win the conference Like, I think Devin Leary is the real deal. Now, of course, you can't fall into, everybody says you can't fall into the Miami trap. Well, I'm doing that. And then I'm doubling down because I'm falling into the NC State trap. The Wolfpack haven't won the ACC since 1979. And although they have been knocking on the door as of late, they really have not gotten to that top tier. I can't remember the last time they've been to a major bowl game, if they've ever been to a major bowl game. So this is a big year for NC State because I think, you know, Dave Dorn's done a good job there, but. Devin Leary, last year, him, I think he's the real deal. As far as where the Hokies are picked, yeah, I do think five is fair. It's the lowest that Virginia Tech has ever been picked since joining the ACC. The second lowest was when they were picked fourth in 2016, which do you remember what they did that year, Jack?
0: Uh, You're going to have to remind me on that one. (laughs) They won the Coastal that year. They won the Coastal. So,
1: no, I I think, in my opinion – I think you can only pick Miami and Pitt to win the coastal. Like I think those are the only two you can really have a reason to pick to win the ACC coastal. I mean, let's go through all the other teams, Carolina. Yes, they are supposedly talented and they're supposedly well coached from a head coaching standpoint, Mm -hmm. but we've said that for years. And where has it been? They seem to be a lot of a all bark, no bite program. At least at yep. this point, because last year they were supposed to be a top 10 team, went six and seven with arguably one of their better quarterbacks in program history. And now he's gone. So I don't know if I buy into the Carolina hype UVA, Brennan Armstrong's the real deal as the quarterback. Like I'll, I'll definitely give him that. I don't have a ton around him, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I don't know about UVA yet. That's an interesting one. And then Virginia Tech, obviously nobody knows. And we'll get into season expectations later with them. So I'll reserve that as you did. I think it's fair. I probably would have picked them fourth. Probably would have jumped them over UVA. I just think they have, although the quarterback position is not resolved for Virginia Tech, I do think they're going to be better in a lot more areas. Plus they have the Cavaliers at home this year. So I think it's going to be, and everybody knows how that rivalry goes. So I think it's going to be tough for UVA to come in here and win, but hey, who knows? I mean, it's just at the end of the day, a preseason poll, but I just can't get behind Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. and you pick to win the coastal by somebody somebody's got to explain that to me because they are bare of the bone across the board and they're about to fire their head coach and you look at the schedule that they're playing and they play something like auburn and ucf and in georgia in the non-conference obviously that's the non conference. but then you got i mean it just it doesn't make any sense to me but yeah i think again take it with a grain of salt but yeah, I think it's fair where Virginia Tech's at, and again, there's just a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of question marks that I think Tech fans are going to be very happy to get answered for sure. So yeah, I, I, I think it's fair, and we'll see where it goes for sure. Position-by-position position previews, quarterbacks, we already talked about that, but I want to I wanna kind of get your take this way. You mentioned, and, and I agree with you, I think Grant Wells will be the starting quarterback What are your expectations for him this year? If he is, I mentioned earlier, he threw for over 3,500 yards last year, which is ridiculous at Marshall. What are your expectations for
0: him if he's a guy? I mean, I think efficiency-wise, that kind of translates at any level. I mean, because efficiency is is pretty much just based off of Your football IQ and how well, or at least at the quarterback position. And I think you know, I mean, we've got some great talent. I don't want to peek too much into some other positions since we are focusing on quarterbacks right now. But there are some talented guys around him this year. And I'm not so sure that the talent at Marshall equals up to it as at Virginia Tech. But also the defensive competition is going to be there too, a step above of what he was facing. But I think that if he he's able to utilize these guys that he has around him, which seems like he did a pretty good job of that Marshall. He should have a fairly decent year. Now, I think that you should cap his expectations at a certain point, because it is a new system. It's a new level. uh, And I think that with anything like that, starting something new, you shouldn't expect something crazy from him.
1: Well, and here's the thing with him too. You know, he, he, talking to him the other day, he talked about how he thinks he's ready to make the jump to the power five level. He grew up going to games here at Virginia tech. I believe his dad went to school here. He's a West Virginia native. But so he's got quite a bit of connection to Virginia Tech, as does Jason Brown, of course, a guy from Fredericksburg. Everybody knows his story. Started at St. Francis, went to South Carolina, always dreamed of playing at Tech, was recruited as a walk on linebacker, I believe, by Bud Foster. And now finally, in his sixth year of eligibility, last chance, he's a quarterback now at Virginia Tech. But yeah, no, I would agree. I think there's got to be reasonable expectations. I think personally for me, and this is not me being a homer, but like I do think Grant Wells is going to be a star here. Now, I may take him some time, but he's got a couple more years of eligibility, and he's got all the tools. I mean, he he preached, as did Brad Glenn and Tyler Bone when we talked to him the other day. They all preached his deep ball accuracy and his accuracy in general. I mean, he completed 66% of his passes last year at Marshall, which is certainly really good. I haven't done the math, but it's got to be, like, top, I don't know, 10, 15, 20% in the nation. I mean, that's really, really good. He's a guy that does not throw a lot of interceptions, He can hit the deep ball, like I mentioned. He can get on the ground as well. He's kind of one of those fringe dual threat guys. He can move with his legs. He can throw the ball deep, and he can hit targets, whether open or maybe struggling to get open and trying to find that tight window. So I certainly think Grant Wells has a shot to be really, really good here for sure. And Jason Brown, you know, if his name is called, assuming again, we're just assuming that Grant Wells is going to be the starter. Jason Brown is more than capable as well. We've seen flashes at South Carolina and he's shown the tools as well. He's definitely developed quite well his past few years and had in a small sample size, a really good year at South Carolina last year too. And then I believe his last year at St. Francis, he threw something like 27 touchdowns, six interceptions, and was an FCS all American. So I think both those guys will put Virginia tech in pretty good hands offensively running backs wise. This is one that we didn't pick up a ton, that's one of the big question marks when it comes to who's going to be where and who's going to be playing. And, you know, Brent Pry and Tyler Boehm, they both were asked about that pretty heavily the past couple of weeks. And that's one of the positions we talked about the tea leaves when we were talking about media day, but that's one of those positions that we have not been told a lot about. And there's a wrench in it now because it's been back and forth between Jalen Holston and Malachi Thomas and Tyler Bowen said, essentially it's one a and one B at this point. But the twist is Malachi Thomas is now nowhere to be found. He hasn't been to practice all week last week, hasn't even been there. Wasn't even, I saw Andy Benner and Mike tweet like, tweeted stuff out today. I, I wasn't there, but at fan day, he wasn't even there for that. So a Virginia Tech spokesperson said that he was, quote, unavailable. If he's not at fan day, that leads me to believe it's not an injury and there's some sort of other situation there.
0: Yeah, which I mean, I guess that would slate Jalen Holston to be your starter. But um, that was interesting. I noticed that I have been following that and seen that he's been sort of a a notable absence over the last week and a half. But um, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, if he's not there that that I mean, we're we're far away from the season opener at ODU, but it's also getting pretty close when you look at it from the other perspective. So I would say right now, I mean, you could probably pencil Jalen Holston as your week one starter. I don't know how that changes throughout the season, um, depending on his, on un- Malachi Thomas's unknown status, but uh, just talking about him as a player on the field, you know, if he is available, I think, I mean, I covered the one game that you couldn't last year for 3304, or four, and that was against Syracuse. And that was his uh, breakout game, if you will, but he, he was dicing up that defense and as a sophomore, I think that's a big year for him to um, develop. So I would probably throw him in at starter first, um, just because Jalen Holston, uh, I know Brent Prize preached about how hard he's worked this offseason, but you haven't really seen much of him on the field throughout his time here. But I would definitely think Malachi Thomas maybe edges him out a little bit just because of the talent discrepancy. But um, yeah, if he's not here, obviously you're going to put Jalen Holston there at RB1.
1: Well, and like you said, if both are available, I think Malachi Thomas is the clear-cut favorite to be the guy. Now, of course, you're going to play two running backs, Mm -hmm. at least. But, yeah, I think Malachi Thomas right now is the guy. If he's, of course, available, there's a big question mark there right now. But you mentioned his breakout game. I think he rushed for over 200 yards against Syracuse last year. Three touchdowns, maybe? Is that right? Three touchdowns. Yeah. So, and he had not played like at all before. And he was a true freshman last year, had a really, really good year. Seems to have gotten a lot stronger and bigger in the weight room this past off season. So he, I think will certainly be a factor in 2022, assuming that obviously he'll be available. Jalen Holson's a guy who's been around for a long time. I mean, six year guy who has been at Virginia tech all six years since 2017 has been waiting for that moment. We thought he was going to get it last year. And he had some flashes, you know, the middle Tennessee game last year, had a big run for a touchdown. Carolina game, I want to say he had a a couple big runs as well. So he certainly has had his moments to burst onto the scene. We saw him in the West Virginia game, but really after the first month of the season last year was not utilized. And of course, that's when Malachi Thomas started to break out. They were, of course, using Raheem Blackshear. And then they started using Keyshawn King some too down the line. So for whatever reason, Jalen Holston kind of fell out of the fold last year, but it seems like, again, especially if Malachi Thomas can't play, regardless if he can play or not, Jalen Holston is going to be, he's going to get a really good opportunity this year. And now to what extent we'll see, but I mean, 199 yards last year, five touchdowns, 52 carries, four receptions for 32 yards and a touchdown. So he's a versatile guy that can do some things for you offensively. And, and, Malachi Thomas certainly has the vision to be a starting running back in the ACC, but Jalen Holson is going to have something to say about it as well, but it it doesn't just stop with those two guys. I mean, Keyshawn King's a guy who obviously has elite speed and we see flashes from him too. And he's one of those guys where you see him play and you're like, Oh, he's that close to that breakout game and being a start Virginia Tech. And he gets close and it just never happens. So don't know what his opportunities are going to look like this year. Actually a little surprised he stuck around. I don't know about you. Thought he may be a portal guy, but he's got elite speed. And when he gets into open space and guys like Jalen Holston and Stu Holt have talked about it, he's gone. Nobody's catching him. So it's just a matter of getting him out into open space. And, you know, with the new strength and conditioning program, Dwight Galt certainly seems to be an upgrade from the the prior staff. So, you know, I would assume I haven't dove too much into this, but he seems (laughs) to be a guy that has certainly put on some muscle and put on some weight and has better scripted his body into more of a ACC level. So I think he could play a role for sure. And then, of course, you got Chance Black, who is a true freshman last year. He redshirted, played in four games as a kick returner, but did not see any action in the backfield. So maybe he plays a role. We'll see Bryce Duke. Nobody knows what he's going to do. Of course, he's a, a stud, true freshman running back, who is a highly touted recruit. Don't know how much of a role it seems like he's going to play based on the depth charts that we've seen and what we've seen in practice, I don't know. You know, I thought coming into the fall that he would see some time, but I don't know. We'll see. Don't know if we'll see Chance Blacks a lot of time, but I think it's going to be, like you said, if he's healthy and available, Malachi Thomas, 1A. Going to see Jalen Holston a good amount, 1B as well. And then Keyshawn King, he may get some carries as well. So I think those seem like the top three guys. And of course, you can pick one and two from there. And then if Thomas is available he seems like he's the guy. So that's certainly an intriguing, interesting position as well. Moving over to the next one, receivers. This is one that I think tech fans have a lot of concern about, and rightfully so. Now they have some really good weapons and some really good assets at the top, but not a lot of depth there.
0: Yeah, you've got currently on some of the – I've been looking through some of the projected depth charts, and you've got uh, some some younger guys, uh, not necessarily young, but young as far as – sophomore, freshman guys backing up some of these guys at the top. So like Caleb Smith, obviously your wide receiver one, just because of experience and depth. And then you've got behind him, Dwayne Lofton, who was a big Fuente guy, always preached about how much he loved Lofton and seemed to play pretty well in some of the games later down the line last season. And then Jaden Blue at your wide receiver Y spot transfer, had a really productive college career and comes here with a good resume. So I think you do have some talent at the top, but, uh, I'll let you go ahead and talk about the depth because it seems like depth-wise at receiver is kind of lacking a little bit.
1: Yeah, there's certainly some issues there depth-wise. I think at the top, they're pretty solid. You know, Caleb Smith, you talked about it. They lose Trey Turner, of course. They lose Tavion Robinson, who transfers to Kentucky. Caleb Smith has certainly had his moments at Virginia Tech, 20 receptions for 260 yards and two touchdowns last season. Also, I and mean, you can't forget about it. I mean, he stole the show. He's a former walk-on. Really good story right outside of Richmond. Bump pass, is that how you say it?
0: Uh, I have no idea. (laughs) I think, Uh, I believe it's Bumpus.
1: Bumpus. Okay. Bumpus. I know he's a Richmond kid, but yeah. So he comes in, he earns his opportunities a good year last year and had a great spring game. Of course, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but two touchdowns in the spring game over a hundred yards. So, you know, now working with Fontel Mines who, again, I think a really good receivers coach who has done it in the state all over the place at all sorts of levels at the FCS level, the group of five level, and now gets his opportunity at the power five with Virginia Tech. I think he has an opportunity. Like I really think, in my opinion, I think Caleb Smith is gonna I, I think Caleb Smith is gonna have just a breakout year. I, I do think Caleb Smith is ready to take that next step forward. And I think he's gonna have a really good year in Blacksburg. Now behind him, we'll see Jaden Blue, a really good receiver at Temple the past few seasons. Now Small sample size last year because I think he entered the portal, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't have it in front of me, in like the middle of October. So he really didn't play a ton last year. But another guy who has done a lot of good things up in Philadelphia and the American Athletic the past few years. I mean, the year prior, 169 passes, or I just in his career at Temple, I should say, 169 passes, 1,672 yards, 10 touchdowns, playing in 35 games while also rushing 12 times. 44 yards so don't know how much we're going to see that I think tech fans are ready to get rid of the jet sweep especially with Trey Turner and all of them so yeah I don't know if we're going to see him on the ground much but he's a, an accomplished receiver at the division one at the FBS level so he's certainly going to have an opportunity for some big time plays and is going to play a major role this year so we'll see with him obviously just a terrible story in the offseason with what happened to his dad and now he's going to get the opportunity to play for him and play at the ACC level. And that's something that it seems like he's always wanted to do. And then Dwayne Lofton, again, like you mentioned, Justin Fonte always was extremely high on him. Fonte Mines is extremely high on him. He's one of those guys who was a, a high level recruit who comes in and did some good things last year, small sample size. Again, I don't mean to repeat phrases, but small sample size. Had a, a pretty good game at Miami last year where he made this ridiculous catch and I believe had a touchdown in that game as well. So, you know, he had his moments, but I think this is another year and another guy who can come in in 2022 and he's ready to take that next step. Now it may be a different level of a step than Caleb Smith will be taking, but I think Dwayne Lofton potentially can compliment Jaden Blue well behind Caleb Smith and do a lot, a lot of good things in the receiving game. So Dwayne Lofton is a guy that I certainly have my eye on. And then, yeah, I didn't mean to take forever going into depth, but behind those three guys, you're a little thin. And you can play around with those three guys based on who's in the slot, who's on the outside. But, I mean, just looking at the guys right now in terms of who they got, I mean, there's some potential, but, of course, some unknown. I mean, Jalen Jones was another Richmond kid who was pretty well thought out in the recruiting process. I've not seen a ton of him. Played in the pinstripe bowl last year. That was pretty much it. I think he played in the Miami game a little bit too, but he did redshirt. Steven Gosnell, who's a transfer from North Carolina, interestingly enough, of course, Benji Gosnell's brother, just a small sample size at Carolina, I think played in 12 games last year, but didn't have a lot of receptions and a lot of opportunities. So we'll see what's up there. And then you got Dalen Wright and Christian Moss, who were two young guys who Bowen and Fontel Mines and Brent Pry have all raved about, but really how ready are they going to be to, play at this level at this point and they redshirted last year. I believe they may have seen some action in the bowl game because why not based on their personnel for the Penn State bowl and they wouldn't have burned the redshirt. But yeah, there's some concern there and I think those receivers can be pretty good down the line and everybody preaches that they're fast. I mean, those guys can play fast. But Yeah, once you get out of those top three, there's certainly some concern, but some potential for down the line as well. And then another guy who was just kind of thrown into the mix, who's very interesting, is Cole Beck. I mean, a guy who was all-state, three-star running back out of Blacksburg High School right here in town in 2017, picked the Hokies over Carolina, Pitt, a bunch of other Power 5 schools as well, UVA, Louisville, Boston College, Mississippi State, a couple others were thrown in there too. He comes in, plays in, well, on the team, I should say, in 2018, 2019, red shirt of both years, broke his collarbone, I want to say, one of those two years, and then at that point, just focused on track, and obviously, he had a great career in track here. I mean, broke multiple school records, one of the best sprinters in the ACC the past few years. I think he finished 10th in the nation last year at the 4 by 100 meter. I'm not a huge track guy, so I wouldn't know all that stuff off the top of my head in terms of how to say that in the terminology, but... He's a guy that, you know, I think Mike Barber asked Tyler Bowen the other day, how does he fit in? And Bowen said he fits in fast, no pun intended, but he fits in fast. And so he's a guy watch out for as well. You know, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be going downfield and trying to make a catch over a six foot six safety, like a Kyle Hamilton was at Notre Dame last year now with the Ravens, but yeah, he can do some things. He can play in the slot. And obviously he's the fastest guy on the field, no matter who's going to be out there. So certainly watch out for him. So that's been a cool story though to see, especially a guy who graduated from Blacksburg High School to see, you know, he was a senior my freshman year. We won the state title when I was in eighth grade, lost in the state semis after an undefeated regular season to Salem my freshman year, and then went to Tech, never got to play track guy and now back with the football program and just kind of mentioned, I got to talk to him and I have a feature coming out soon for 33 or 4 Sports on him. Just kind of talked about how stoked he was for this opportunity to come back into the full with Virginia Tech football. Next, next position I want to go over, the tight ends room. And this is interesting, too, because you got three guys and a third guy who maybe can play a role who is a converted quarterback.
0: Yeah, so I would say with tight ends, I mean, obviously you lose James Mitchell, but James Mitchell obviously didn't play much last year because he got hurt early on. Um, but you're looking at Nick Gallo, Drake DeLewis, and then you've got Connor Bumrick sort of as a uh, wild card in there, because you really don't know how he's going to look at tight end. He obviously probably won't be the starter, and it's still yet to be seen or yet to be told just how big his role will be. But what you heard about at practice is that he's been pretty good uh, so far in that position change. But I think um, as far as the tight end room, it's probably going to be held down. One one, and two is going to be between Nick Gallo and Drake DeLewis, especially with their experience there as you know, uh, Gallo as a junior and then DeLewis as a senior.
1: Well, yeah, you mentioned they were pretty much without James Mitchell all last year because he tore his ACL in that Middle Tennessee game. But, yeah, there's some potential in the tight ends room as well. I mean, Drake DeLulis, I mean, last year, five receptions for, you know, 76 yards, not a ton and a touchdown in 2021. Nick Gallo, 14 receptions for 130 yards. He did not reach the end zone. but Those two guys have had their moments early on at Virginia Tech. Drake DeLulis has been around for quite some time. He's another six-year guy who – Talked about maybe he was going to enter the portal at some point, never did. It's paid off. And now he's probably going to be the guy. I mean, I think you're going to see Nick Gallo and, and Drake Dullius certainly split some reps there. Connor Blumberg is really interesting because Connor Blumberg is going to play. I mean, all the coaches have just raved about the kids' athleticism. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows his story. A quarterback last year at Virginia Tech, but he certainly has some background in what he's doing now. I mean, he played all sorts of positions at Texas A&M before he transferred over to Blacksburg. I mean, listen to this. I mean, he was a quarterback, tight end, running back, and member of the special teams unit when he played at AM. and And then he comes to Blacksburg and he's like, all right, I'm done moving around. I'm going to be a quarterback. And, you know, he had his moments last year, but certainly probably not long-term a quarterback in this system, especially by bringing in Grant Wells and Jason Brown. But he comes in and seemed very, very willing to move and is going to give Virginia Tech an opportunity to do a lot of different things. And I think they can really play with them. And I think He's really going to have the upper hand and the defenses aren't going to really know how to play him because he's going to play some tight end. That's where he's listed at. Sounds Mm -hmm. like he can maybe play some receiver, can play in the backfield as well. I mean, all those guys like Tyler Bowen talked about, he's going to be a guy in the backfield, in the slot, on the outside, and as a tight end. And who knows, obviously he's not going to say this. Who knows? Wouldn't shock me if there's some, Tricks up the hokey sleeves where, when it's time to pull out a trick play, you got a converted quarterback who's now going to be a big, a big piece of Virginia Tech's offense all across the board. So, he's a guy that is going to be very, very interesting for me to see play. And he didn't do a lot of it at AM in terms of actually in the game, but he talked about just how much that experience down in college station is going to help him for this new journey at Virginia Tech. And kudos to him for sticking around and 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 battling through it and now going to get an opportunity to play in a different way attack and a guy who's added 20 pounds i mean we were talking about him the other day jack just seeing him at practice i mean he just looks different obviously the haircut but like i mean that guy He he's ripped i mean he looks just different out there and he mentioned it's it's tough getting used to to blocking once again and doing all stuff like you know all, all sorts of stuff like that but Six foot five, 222 pounds, nothing to sneeze at. I think he was around 205 last summer or last season. So he's an interesting one for me. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how they use Connor Blumberg because, again, they've listed him as a tight end, but it seems like there's going to be all sorts of packages they can utilize him in. So he's going to be a fun one to watch. Offensive line, there's some depth issues there, too. But, you know, Joe Rudolph is a guy who we talked about. Very accomplished coach at Wisconsin and Pitt. And you got some guys coming back. I mean, Silas Jansky's coming back for his sixth year, and he's going to be a captain of this team and one of the big-time leaders. And then you got Caden Moore. You got Johnny Jordan coming back for, I believe, a fifth year, who was a transfer, maybe sixth year. I'll have to look that up. But another graduate transfer out of Maryland who played last year and decided to stick around and use his COVID year of eligibility. And then you got Parker Clements and Jesse Hansen. So certainly some good things to see out of that group as well.
0: Yeah. Outside of, um, tackle and center, you know, it is, it is kind of, um, you got some youth there and then obviously behind them, even more youth, uh, Caden Moore, a converted defensive lineman. I mean, you've got, you've got some, some holes in that line. I don't necessarily want to say holes, um, but maybe guys who aren't as experienced as other as others. So it'll be interesting to see, but I think with Joe Rudolph on the sideline coaching them up, I think there's reason for hope for that group. And I think, um, they should, they should do a decent job of keeping, keeping Grant Wells, or I guess whoever the quarterback is protected from it for the year.
1: One Silas Janzi is a guy that can slide around. Johnny Jordan can as well. So you got some versatility out there. Caden Moore had a really, really good year last year. I think was a pro football focus all American. So there's certainly some good things to see out of that group. And I personally, I don't know about you, Jack, but I'm looking forward to seeing Joe Rudolph's. I, I think they're okay with Vance Vice in the previous regime, but now with Joe Rudolph here, I'm looking forward to seeing the impact that he has on these guys. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, moving to the defensive side of the ball. Defensive line, interesting one too. You got some guys that you know are going to perform, but there's still some question marks. Mario Kendricks, Josh Fuga, Narell Pollard, Taiwan Garbett, all guys you can slot in and you know are going to get the job done. And they've done so ever since they've set foot on campus here at Virginia Tech. Then you got the, the fifth defensive end position. Who's going to compliment Tywan Garbett on the other side of the ball? And there's a question mark there. Is it going to be, I mentioned it in the open, Jalen Griffin, Cole
0: Nelson, CJ McCray. what's your take there? Uh, I'm really, for that position, I, I really don't know. I think that, that you got to just, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see who comes out as a starter uh, for ODU. But I think, I mean, we really haven't heard much about who's sort of leading at that spot. Um, but it does seem to be a healthy competition between between the guys you mentioned. So right now I don't really have an answer for you, but I think well, that's almost in itself a plus because if, if it's too hard to have someone nailed down there, then that means the guys working for that spire working hard. So we'll see, we'll see who's out there, but I wouldn't really know who to pinpoint right now.
1: Well, and you could probably mix it up a little bit. Like I think you're going to see rotation early on between McCray and Cole Nelson and, and Jalen Griffin, but it seems like Jalen Griffin and Cole Nelson have been the two guys that really can perform there. And seems like the two guys that are probably going to start out with the upper hand and Jalen Griffin's been around for a long time too. Cole Nelson was a true freshman last year, had some really good moments. So that'll be an interesting battle to watch as well. I'm trying to speed it up a little bit, because I know we want to keep this relatively around an hour and we still got to get through our game by game previews, but, and picks. linebacking core. I think the Hokies should feel pretty good. Dax Hollifield, Alan Tisdale, Keontae Jenkins slides up. Then you got some other guys like J.R. Walker and, and Jaden Keller who can obviously perform there as well. But obviously everybody's just stoked to see how Dax and Alan Tisdale perform under this new regime with such a, a linebacking and linebacker background. And I think Dax and Alan Tisdale are two guys that are really going to take a step up.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's low hanging fruit to point out that Brent Pry, linebacker's guy, and he's got these two guys who have been here a while, two pretty talented guys. And then, uh, just sort of focusing off them, I'm pretty excited to see how Keanu Jenkins moves down the linebacker, just because. You know, Brett probably mentioned during his media day that there are a lot of guys learning new positions on the staff. And I think we'll address another one as we go through the defense. But, you know, that's something that I think is important, especially with all the injuries that the team faced last year. And, yeah, you know, this is just another example of another guy doing it personally as a football fan of me. I enjoy seeing guys move from safety linebacker. I think it opens up your defense a lot more, which I'm excited to just see how they use Keonta Jenkins at that Sam linebacker role.
1: Yeah, and especially when you can mix it up with guys like Chris Marv and and Sean Quinn on the staff as well, coaching that group, up. So two very experienced guys. I mean, Dax and Alan Sizdo combined for 176 total tackles last year in 2021 and then combined for 111 total tackles a year prior. So obviously they have a lot of experience getting the job done. Defensive backs. Going to combine cornerbacks and, and safeties to kind of – don't know if I should do that, but I'm I'm going to combine the two to kind of speed it up just a tad. But Breon Murray, Armani Chapman, again, two more guys that have been there, done that here in Blacksburg. Dorian Strong, and then at the safety positions, Jamari Connor and Nazir Peoples. So that's a pretty good group, I think, as well.
0: Yeah, a lot of experience there. I think I think you're going to see a good good year out of the out of the corner. But I mean, there's not much to talk about. Uh obviously these guys have had experience playing here, productive seasons. I mean, that's I would say that's the one spot on the defense where you're not you, you probably have a few more questions than linebackers just because because of what we just mentioned. But I would say as far as expectations for that that unit, it should be pretty much what you've seen in the past.
1: Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I don't know if there's a another position at Virginia Tech this year that you feel more comfortable about would you agree
0: yeah I would definitely agree with that
1: yeah I I I just think that's you mentioned the word experience and that's a great word to describe it I think there's too much experience there to really worry about that group especially when you have all sorts of other positions to worry about so guys like Pearson Prelo and Derek Jones certainly are in good shape there for sure and of course that's the long-standing tradition in history with Virginia Tech football is obviously special teams but of course DBU so I mean, Jamari Connor. he started each of the last 37 games for Virginia Tech. Tech retains 79% of their total pass breakup production from a year ago. So I think Brent Prye and Company got to be feeling pretty good there. All right, final, final little group, special teams. No doubt about it, Peter Moore is going to be your starting punter. Great year last year, one of the best in the ACC. On the Ray Guy Award watch list heading into 2022. So don't think you got to worry about him obviously following Oscar Bradburn's footsteps. So I think the Hokies are going to be in good hands in terms of punting the ball away on fourth down, which hopefully is not very often, but but we'll see there for sure. Touched on the place kicking battle. It seems like Will Ross, Coastal Carolina transfer, is going to be the guy. He's been working out with the ones, but seems like they haven't been ready to name a guy yet. John Love is waiting in the wings as well. And then from a long snapping standpoint, this is interesting because Enzo Anthony has been around for, this will be his third season in Blacksburg. He was Virginia starter as their long snapper in 2019 when the Cavaliers actually beat the Hokies to win the ACC Coastal. He then transfers to Virginia Tech, played in the first game in 2020 with Oscar Shadley, getting COVID. And then since then really has not played a ton. And this may finally be his time to shine. We'll see. I mean, he was a highly talented guy and obviously everybody's like Virginia to Virginia tech, but seems like there are a lot of factors there that allowed him to do that. But I mean, you know, we'll see. I think, I don't think a lot of people are concerned about, and this is no disrespect to that position group. There aren't as many people concerned about the long snapping battle versus maybe some others as well. But I do think Stu, uh Stu Holt and company will, Certainly figure that out. And then you got guys like Christian Epling and Justin Pollock, too, who seem to be battling for that spot. But the the position group, I guess I should say the the portion of the special teams that I'm curious to get your take on. I mentioned the punt returning game. Seems like DJ Harvey has been taking the majority of the reps. Dwayne Lofton right behind him. Kicker Turner seems to be a ton of guys. Jalen Holston, Chance Black, Cole Beck, Keyshawn King. Who do you think we see back there?
0: Uh, for me, I would say my pick's probably Keyshawn King. I mean, he's had experience returning. Uh, obviously, we've gone over in depth recently about his speed, and like you said, with the running backs, like he might not get a lot of carries if it really is, you know, having Holston and Thomas sort of take up a chunk of that. So he's got to find a role. He's too fast to be a guy that just sits on your bench every week. So I think he's the natural put, put, player to put in at kick returner just because of his experience and just how explosive an, of an athlete he is.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go Keyshawn King, too. And then on the other side, I think you go Chance Black. And I think it's pretty simple there. And punt returner, I mentioned it. DJ Harvey seems to be the guy. But, I mean, it seems like both Harvey and Dwayne Lofton will be pretty good options. All right, this is probably what I'm most excited for. Our game by game picks our preseason predictions for Virginia Tech football. So we're gonna go game by game, chalk it up as a win or a loss. So keep your tallies, Jack, because I want to make sure that we're on the same page and and we'll make sure that we we're right there. But so we're gonna go game by game and chalk it up as a W or a loss, and then go from there and see where we think the Hokies are gonna finish in 2022 and then give an answer. Was it a good year for Virginia Tech or not, considering the circumstances? So Jack, of course. First thing I'm going to ask you, Old Dominion, Friday night, September 2nd, under the lights in Norfolk, the 757 area filled with Hokies. Does Virginia Tech win on opening night? Brent Prize debut?
0: Um, I'm going to go yes, uh, but I also feel like that's not a sturdy yes, just because, I mean, you've seen the history between the two schools. And what you also have to consider is, you know, as as much as Tech fans might think that, you know old Dominion is is maybe one of the easy, softer games on the schedule I mean that's that's one of their biggest games as a program is for hosting Virginia Tech to start out the season so they're gonna come fired up and you know on our side of things uh, this is a first game with a lot of new players new coaching staff I mean you really don't know what to expect but I will go with the win um, just because I think Virginia Tech should should be picked to win and I think they should win uh pretty pretty handily I'm going to
1: go to the Hokies too. Obviously, in Virginia Tech's lone appearance in Norfolk, they got spanked back in 2018, a game that Hokie fans long want to just erase from their memory. But I do think Virginia Tech wins this game. You know, this is a game, of course, it's going to be a rebuilding year for Virginia Tech, but you still got to find a way to beat Old Dominion, regardless of whether or not you're at home or on the road. I don't think ODU is going to be very good. They had a decent year last year. I think they went six and six in the regular season went to the Myrtle Beach Bowl obviously they're transitioning now to the Sun Belt from Conference USA they got some good pieces I think they're finished to pick I I think they're picked to finish last in their division off the top of my head I don't have that pulled up in front of me but this is a game Virginia Tech should win you know you make a statement Friday night Brent Prize debut like I mentioned you get a Norfolk and and you walk away with a victory I do think the Hokies will I think Odie will keep it close I don't think Odie's a bad team but again you're at the group of five level versus the ACC I mean like you said this is I don't know if I want to say if it's Old Dominion Super Bowl but anytime they have a school like Virginia Tech roll in I mean that's about as big of a home game as you can have if you're ODU so I do think the Hokies will go in I think ODU will keep it close I think it'll be you know one of those you know one two touchdown games throughout the rest of the way and then I think in the final five minutes or so the Hokies kind of pull ahead and, and put it away and win by two to three touchdowns. So I do think Virginia tech gets the one that night and they start off one and oh, so we're on the same page there next weekend, Brent prize home debut, a Saturday night game. So a night game in his home debut, which is pretty awesome against Boston college, which is also the ACC opener. You got the Hokies or the Eagles there.
0: Uh, I'm going to go with the Hokies just because I think, um, I think that environment's going to be raucous. And I think, uh, maybe if this was the first game of the season, I wouldn't have so much confidence in a win. I still think it's going to be a tough game. Phil Djokovic obviously had a really good outing against Virginia Tech last year. Um, I, so I think it will be competitive. But just because, you know, Brett Price home debut, Boston College maybe isn't. I mean, Boston College by no means is being touted as one of the top teams in ACC, but neither is Virginia Tech. So I think it will be competitive. Person, yeah,
1: except by one person. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll give the edge to, the, to Virginia Tech.
1: I think I will too. Like you mentioned, Phil Dracovic is coming back. Really good quarterback. I mean, that game last year in Chestnut Hill, I mean, that was such a bad game. I mean, that was, that was such a gut punch. I mean, 17 to three, the Hokies couldn't move the ball or really past midfield. Braxton Burmeister goes out. No, Phil Dracovic is a real deal. Really good quarterback. Zay Flowers, their top receiver, one of the best in college football as well. But beyond that, they don't have a ton. I think BC will be. Six, seven win team. But coming into Lane Stadium for the Hokies opening game in Blacksburg, I don't think is the best res or the best recipe for success for them. So I'm a little hesitant on this one because BC has had some success here in years past. But I do think I got to go Virginia Tech. Although, like I said, I'm more hesitant on this one than I am for ODU. So I do think the Hokies win this game. And obviously, you're off to a good start at 2 0 and 1 0 on the ACC. Don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this one. Waffer the following weekend, 11 a.m. kick.
0: I think that's an, that's an easy – that's one of those ones. There's double easy right in Sharpie. I don't think there's too much too much to worry about right there.
1: Yeah, give me like the Seth Davis Sharpie on that one. So the Hokies 3-0, 1-0, 1-0 in the ACC. The next weekend, Thursday night game. This is probably the game I'm most looking forward to this year. Mm-hmm. West Virginia game. You reignite that rivalry back in Blacksburg for the first time since – 2004, 2005, they've met here. Obviously, the Hokies want to get that sour taste out of their mouth. They go up to Morgantown last year. They get stopped at the goal line and get beat. So the Black Diamond Trophy currently is up there at WVU. So the Hokies, they got to get that back because they don't play for another 10, 12 years after this year. So Virginia Tech is going to want to win this one. And a Thursday night game, again, under the lights again with West Virginia coming in here, an old-school heated rivalry. I think it should be an awesome awesome atmosphere i'm so looking forward to this game who do you got
0: uh i hate to keep rolling with them but i think virginia tech's gonna win this one uh just because i mean like you mentioned the uh the fact that i think you know there are a lot of players that i think really were really stinging after last year's game against west virginia how it ended and if this game is being played in morgantown i might have a different answer but i think with the environment and how many Players are going to be fired up for this game just because of what happened last year and the environment that they're going to be playing in. I think Virginia Tech is going to come out and really, really make a statement victory on Thursday night.
1: Yeah, I hate to keep agreeing with you, and I'm really hesitant to pick Virginia Tech to start off 4-0. I really am because I don't think they're that good of a team to start 4-0 and 1-0 in the league. But if this game was in Morgantown, yeah, I'm going to pick West Virginia. But, again, the atmosphere, Thursday night – going to be the loudest game here all year long. Probably the loudest game since Notre Dame last year, North Carolina last year. Take your pick between those two. I just think it's going to be too tough of an environment for West Virginia. I mean, games are sold out, so that already kind of speaks to the excitement level from the fan base. I mean, that game is going to be so, so fun to be a part of. The energy level will be so intense. It'll be really – Brent Price first taste of vintage Lane Stadium, and probably really the only one he's going to get this year because I went through Boston College in that category. And West Virginia is kind of in a similar situation to what Virginia Tech was in last year. Neil Brown, the head coach, is on the hot seat. I think JT Daniels, who they swooped up and got, really good quarterback, you know, transfer from both Georgia and USC. I don't think they come into Blacksburg and win, though. I really don't. Thursday night game, I think that's going to be too important to Virginia Tech. I think that's going to be one that the Hokies really want to get. And so many people have this game circled, whether you like it or not. So, four, no, one and no start for Virginia Tech. And we both have that happening. So, that is alarming and actually kind of weird to think about. The next weekend, the Hokies get a Chapel Hill, second ACC game of the season when they face off against the North Carolina Tar Heels
0: on October 1st. Um, I'm probably going to give that one to the Tar Heels just because, you know, first away game after, what is it, three straight home games um, against a, a, an opponent that isn't one to, to, to take lightly. Um Plus, I just think that, you know, Carolina's got some really good playmakers that they kept from last year. And what was despite, you know, that what it felt like that being like a blowout at type of game, just because of the way it went last year, it was a pretty tight game. And I think, Although they lost Sam Howell, they'll have a good team put out against, against Virginia Tech. And I think just based on how the year had gone to that point, I don't think you win five straight games. Um, I think this is where you get your first sell. I agree. I agree. I think, again, I don't think is that great of a team. And they have guys like
1: Josh Downs and all that. But for the most part, the Tar Heels are just that average team, just like the Hokies and UVA are. But I do think, like you mentioned, I think it's that time where Virginia Tech kind of hits the wall. They've won four in a row, probably overachieving a little bit to that point. They go to Chapel Hill, Keenan stadium, not exactly the toughest place to play, but you know, Carolina probably a bad taste in their mouths last year to come into Blacksburg and the Hokies to upset them. And it's going to be one that they're really going to want to get. I think this game is going to be more the I think this game is going to be more to North Carolina than mm-hmm. it does to Virginia Tech. So I don't know. I, I think I got to go to the Tar Heels on this one, just because of the fact I think the Hokies say they can't start five and zero. They're going to hit a wall at some point there, and I think this is the one you get to chalk up, especially with them going on the road again. Maybe in Blacksburg, different story, but they got to Chapel Hill, and you got to sleep in somebody else's bed at that point. And you know, so I, I do think the Hokies will end up falling that evening in Chapel Hill. So four and one, one and one in the ACC, We're on the same page there. Another tough one next weekend. They go to the Steel City face-off against the Pitt Panthers on Saturday, October 8th in Acquisher Stadium, I think.
0: I'm still going to call it Heinz Field, but what do you got there? Uh, I'm going to go with another L. Uh, Another team lost its stud quarterback, uh, but, you know, that team was good for a number of reasons, in addition to Kenny Pickett. Uh, Great head coach. uh, Just another game on the road, coming off a loss. I just don't think that's a great setup, going into a talented, going to face a talented team in Pitt. Um, I'd say that's that's probably a, a good, good like, coast. I don't want to say they, they coast by him, but I think that's a safe, safe win for Pitt. So I'll go L for Virginia Tech.
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't think the Hokies will go up to Pittsburgh and win that game. I do think Pitt's going to still be a pretty good team. We'll contend for the Coastal. They lose Kenny Pickett. They lose Jordan Addison, of course. That was a big deal with him going to USC, but they still got some playmakers around them, and like you said, they're very well coached. New OC, but I think they'll be fine. For the most part, I don't think they'll have many problems with Virginia Tech coming up there. And that's one of those house of horrors for the Hokies. I mean, Tech's only won their once ever mm-hmm. in 2016. So I, I think it's a pretty safe bet to say the Hokies will drop that one. So four and two overall, one and two in the ACC. Another tough one. This is that little tough stretch. So after a four and a start, it could be a little bit of a rude awakening. They host Miami the following Saturday night, which is probably, it's arguably one of the biggest home games of the year. Probably a one B behind West Virginia, but the hurricanes, they got shut to be pretty good. There's some question marks with them, but this is certainly an intriguing one for tech as well.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, my kind of, my answer is kind of going to be, kind of be a cheap one, but I feel like it's going to, it's going to determine uh, who I should pick would be determined on what kind of Miami team you're going to see this year, because I feel like every year, you know, Miami is maybe hyped up a little more than they actually end up being. Um, but you know if they end up doing that team this year, I think this is another L and I will go with an L just because I think it's it's gonna be hard I, I think it's gonna be hard to break that that wall streak against a team that that is pretty good in Miami despite even though it will be at home I know fans are gonna be excited for them to be back after a little stretch on the road but it's not gonna it's not gonna be an easy win and I think it's gonna be one of those games that's gonna be hard to, um, Hard to win to break that that sort of slump that they're going to be in. So I'll go out.
1: Yeah, this is tough because, I mean, we're right on. We're seven for seven right now in the yeah. same place. So yeah, I think Miami will win this one. I think Miami is going to be a pretty good team. Obviously, the hype is around Mario Cristobal, and we talk about Virginia Tech staff. The staff that Miami brought in elite. I mean, they got Josh Gaddis as their offensive coordinator coming in from Michigan, who was thought to maybe be the head coach at UVA. I mean, that's insane. They still got a a ways to go and some work to do to get back to the level that they want to be at. But yeah, I I don't think they'll come in here and drop one in Blacksburg. So four and three overall one and three in ACC play by week, the Hokies then go to Raleigh Thursday, October 27th to face off against the NC state Wolfpack. Again, my pick to win the ACC at Carter Finley stadium, which that should be an awesome environment. Thursday night in Raleigh, too. That place can rock and roll for sure. So this is going to be another tough one for Tech.
0: Yeah, you just mentioned it. I mean, it will be a tough one. I'm going to go L again just because, like I said, I mean, I mean, like you said, I mean, NC State, pretty good quarterback, pretty good team overall. Away Thursday night, those games are always big for the team that's hosting. I think NC State will edge Tech out. I don't think it will be a completely uncompet- or non-competitive game. I think, I think NC State and Virginia Tech will battle it out for – for the full length of 60 minutes. But I think NC State's going to probably win by 7 to 10 points, I'd say. I think this is the
1: least likely game for Virginia Tech to win this year. Hmm. You got the – I mean, same reasons for West Virginia when they come into Blacksburg. You got the combining factor of a Thursday night home game at a place that loves games like that. I mean, just rocks and rolls for night games. Carter-Finley is a fun place to watch a game. I went to a game there this past year. And, you know, Virginia Tech, NC State, they don't have a ton of history, but I think both sides respect each other, both solid programs. So they're going to be ready for that game. You know, I think this is going to be the toughest test for Virginia Tech this season. I think NC State's like a French top 10 team in the country with Devin Leary and who they got all across the field. So I think this is going to be a tough one for the Hokies to win. So I actually think NC State may win this one by two or three touchdowns. I don't think this will be a, like you said, I don't think it will be a non-competitive game, but I just I think this is going to be a very, very tough game for Tech to win. So, four straight wins to start the season, four straight losses to follow it up. So now four and four overall, one and four in the ACC. And then Georgia Tech comes to town the following Saturday.
0: Yeah, I think this is where you end your you end your L streak. I think Georgia Tech is a is a pretty it's it's not the best team. I think Virginia Tech's a little bit better than Georgia Tech just to just to like as far as just compare, comparing them like one by one. But, you yeah, know, I think this is an important game that I, I think guys are going to be tired of losing. And I think Georgia Tech is is one of those games that, that you can win even if you don't play your best football. And that's no disrespect to Georgia Tech, but I just think Virginia Tech's a little bit higher right now um, as far as talent level. Uh, so I, I would say that that's, that's one of those games that, that you win. I don't know if you necessarily blow Georgia Tech out because like I said, Virginia Tech isn't that much better than them, but they are better. Um, so, I'll, I'll give Virginia Tech the W on that one. I don't know, man. Georgia Tech
1: is down bad. i mean, they stripped bare to the bone. I mean, they just lost Jameer Gibbs, and there's just not any momentum with that program right now. I think the Hokies do have a nice bounce back win against the Yellow Jackets in this one. It's not the Paul Johnson triple option Georgia Tech team. So, I think the Hokies win this one, take another step closer to a bowl game and five and four overall now, one and two, or excuse me, two and four in ACC play. So, yeah, so at this point, I think you're feeling pretty good because then you got Duke the following week down in Durham.
0: Yeah, I think you win that one too. I mean, Duke, another team picked super low well in the ACC. It is on the road, but um, I don't think that that's one of those games you're super worried about the atmosphere. Uh, probably will be a, an early <laughs> Not kickoff. Exactly, Cameron. Yeah, so I think yeah, I Cameron. think that'll be one of those games you can you can and should win.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna pick the Hokies and win that one too, which would put them. Yeah, it would get them there. Yeah, it would get them bowl eligibility. Yeah, they'd be six and four at that point. I was trying to do the mental math. They'd be three and four in ACC play. So, dude, like we're 10, 10 of the same picks. That's crazy. That's crazy. Hey, that's that's how it works sometimes. So, no, that's totally fine. So, all right, six and four, three and four in ACC play. The next weekend is a, really an interesting game. Not a huge fan of this game, especially to go to Liberty and ODU in the same year. I'm trying to go to ODU. Liberty seems weird to go to Lynchburg, but the Hokies will in fact go up 460, hour and a half down the road, and play the Flames for the second time since they joined the FBS ranks, and last time did not go so well.
0: Yeah, I think um, this is kind of a toss-up in my mind, just because you don't see these teams play very often, especially late in the year. This feels like a a weird late year matchup, Um, but it's an away game. It's kind of Kind of one of those games that I mean you're already bowl eligible and I think at this point a lot of guys would probably be looking forward to UVA at home. Uh, I think this is when you drop just because it's kind of just it's just an odd game. It kind it sticks out on the schedule when you look at it. I think it's just a weird like awkwardly timed game against a team that's sneakily good um, despite losing another good another team that lost a good, great quarterback in Malik Willis. So I'm gonna give an L there just because I don't think you finished the year um, three at least you yeah, know, three or four wins, or I think you do finish three or four.
1: Yeah. I think, I don't know. I think Virginia tech wins this game. I don't really think they're gonna have a ton of trouble with Liberty because looking at their team, they lose Malik Willis, who was their everything. And they really weren't even that good last year. And they had a first round talented quarterback Yeah, at that level. I don't think the Oakies will go up to Lynchburg and lose that game, but that's one of those, you know, you just never know. So I'm going to chalk it up as a win and maybe that's optimistic, but I'm going to chalk that up as a win. So you got no. All right. So we're a little bit different now. So what I am at seven and four, i at six and, and five four, yeah, seven and four, three and four in ACC play. And you're at six and five, three and four in ACC play. Yep. And then of course the final game, the Cavaliers come to town on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So do the Hokies retain the Commonwealth cup.
0: Yeah. I mean, I hate to, I feel like with this game, it just seems like if you pick Virginia Tech, you're your homer, but I mean, I'll just pick with what history's given us and I expect Virginia Tech to win. Um, so I, that would put me at, I think six and or seven and six, which I think is appropriate. I, I kind of looked at Virginia Tech as a seven win team, seven to eight win team, maybe six, six wins. If things aren't the best. So I'll, I'll go, I'll go Hokies there just so they can finish with an even conference record and, and go seven and six on the year
1: okay so we're identical conference record wise because again like you said history just repeats itself too much with that rivalry and while i do think they'll be okay with brennan armstrong and i think tony elliott will do a good job there overall i don't think virginia has the pieces to come into blacksburg and win that game and i'm not saying that because i think virginia tech is this great team they're not i just don't think virginia and brent price first year is going to come into his building and take him down when they haven't done that since 1998. I mean, think about that. So I got the Hokies eight and four, which is I don't know. That's optimistic now that I'm thinking about it. And it's so weird because I have them winning the first four, losing the next four, and then winning the last four. I have them going eight and four overall, four and four in ACC play, which will probably put them fourth in the Coastal, which is where I picked them. And then you have them going seven and five overall. Yeah,
0: I said seven four and six. four. My my right,
1: bad. So seven, no, you're good. So we obviously can't include the bowl game because we don't know. Seven and five overall. Six and or seven and five overall. Four and four in ACC play. So pretty similar. The Liberty game is where our opinions differ a little bit, but yeah. So eight and four, I think, is a little optimistic. Mm-hmm. I think I could have gone if I went back and did it again. Maybe I think differently about Boston College because I do think the Eagles can come down and, and take down the Hokies. Liberty is probably one of those trap games. I don't know if I see another game on the schedule, though. West Virginia, maybe the Mountaineers could come in and certainly take down the Hokey. So I think those are the three swing games, right? Like I think, again, this is a rebuilding year for Brent Pry and Virginia Tech, of course. But there is no reason, looking at this schedule, they shouldn't at least win five games, probably get to a bowl game. Mm -hmm. So with that, I'll pose this question to you to wrap it up. First off. Do you have any trap games in there that you think Virginia Tech could end up losing? Are there any games in there that you think Virginia Tech can end up winning? And what would be a good year for Virginia Tech football?
0: Uh, so trap games, I think some people might consider Wofford a trap game. I don't. I think that's a game that you're just going to win easily. Um But I I would say, I mean, my trap game was probably obvious with my picks. Uh, It's late in the year, so I don't know how much of a trap game it can be, but Liberty, just because of where it's placed and just sort of where, based on my predictions, you would be mentally as a program coming off two wins and then having UVA next week uh, in Blacksburg. So I would say that's probably my trap game. Uh, I don't necessarily know if there are any games that will be trap games for Virginia Tech's opponents. Uh, I'd say West Virginia would probably be the biggest one right there. I don't think Miami's going to gonna take Virginia Tech lightly in Lane Stadium. Uh but I think, I think uh West Virginia, it's been so long since they played in in um at Lane Stadium. So it might, it might be just one of those things where they can catch them off guard. Uh but for me at seven and five, you know, I would say that probably is a good year, but w- it would be contingent upon winning at least one of the three between Boston College, West Virginia and Miami. And I think you also have to beat UVA. I don't necessarily know that 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 would – I think going 0-3 against the three schools I mentioned would maybe be preferred to a lot of people than losing to Virginia at the end of the year, Um, just because I think it would would really leave a a poor taste in a lot of people's mouths on Brent Price first year in Blacksburg. So I think as far as one game being the most important, UVA might be the most important game of the year. Um, But I think if you win at least one to two, I would say one, of Boston College, West Virginia, Miami. That for me, that I would consider that a a good year for Virginia Tech, and then win the rest that we said.
1: Yeah, no, that's a very fair point, and that's a great way to put it. I think, I think a successful year for Virginia Tech football would be seven and five, hmm. with wins over UVA and one of probably Miami, and West Virginia. Hmm. So. I think that would be a successful year in year one under Brent Pry. Obviously, the expectations have been modified since the last few years, and rightfully so they have to. Eight and four, I'm still like that's optimistic. I can yeah. see he's dropping one of those games like BC or or a couple other of those as well that we named. But I think seven and five is what you shoot for. I mm-hmm. think eight and four is borderline a great year for Brent Price first season here. I think people would be ecstatic through the roof if what I just predicted happened. Uh, And that's just my take. But I think seven and five is what you shoot for with wins over UVA and a win over either West Virginia or Miami. So it's going to be interesting to watch. It's going to be a fun year for Virginia Tech football. And I hope, and hopefully people, you know, kind of settle in, take a step back and, you know, just
0: in that wait and see
1: mode. And I think that's exactly what everybody, everybody should be doing right now.
0: Yeah, I think that, I, it does seem like there's a staggering difference between four and five losses on the year for some reason. But I think, I think five, seven and five would be your sweet spot to to either hit or go past, but I'm not expecting, I'm not, by no means would I would I put eight and four as, as one of the results that you'd expect like that much. So I think seven and five, maybe six and six, those, those would be my records that you'd feel at least some sort of encouragement and comfortability with.
1: Well, and I came in prepping for the show thinking I was going to say seven and five. Mm -hmm. But I just went through the schedule and obviously just going through it. It does not seem like that's going to be the case. But I don't know, four, four, and four in a row in terms of wins, losses would be super strange. But I don't think it's out of the question. Like I think, so let me pose this last question to you then before we go. This just popped in my head. What is the best Virginia Tech can do, and what is the worst Virginia Tech can do? Uh,
0: worst. So, I mean, worst worst is hard. So, I'll go best first. Um, best, I think, I think you win. I don't think you win Pittsburgh um, under any means. I just don't think that's a winnable game. Um, and I don't think you win against NC State. So, so, theoretically, if those are the only two that I feel like are just unwinnable, I guess you could say 10 and two, but like, that's not going to happen. And then worst case scenario. I mean, that'd be tough. I think, uh, I guess I'll just do it the same way I did best case scenario with games. You probably won't lose at all. So Wofford's there. um, Old Dominion, I think could fit in that category. And then you probably should, I mean, you have to win at least one of the two between Georgia tech and Duke. And I think, I mean, I think you're not beating one of them if that's your worst year. So, I guess I would go three and nine, as terrible as that is. I mean, that's worst-case scenario.
1: I'm going to say best-case scenario, nine and three, Mm -hmm. because I don't think they're beating NC State, don't think they're beating Pitt, don't think they're beating Miami. Mm -hmm. Maybe. We'll see. Miami, I think, is the most likely out of those three for Tech to win. But I my best-case scenario is nine and three, which is weird because I picked them to go eight and four, which is not that far (laughs) apart. My worst case scenario is four and eight. Mm-hmm. Now, I think everything has to go wrong for that to happen. And I don't yeah. think people will be extremely encouraged if Tech goes four and eight this year, because that means you had to have lost to ODU, Liberty, one of ODU, Liberty, Duke, Georgia Tech. And those are four games that you should just win like that. Yeah. And because of Wofford in there, you have to assume you're going to lose one of those four games. So. I don't know. It's interesting, but obviously there's a lot of excitement around the program right now. And it's a different type of excitement because I think it's a long-term excitement, but it should be a good year. So with that, Jack, I want to throw it to you for one more thing. You got any final thoughts heading into the 2022 season? Of course, we'll be doing a podcast pretty much every single week. And I think we'll start to pick it up in person once I get settled into my apartment, but Mm -hmm. this was a a good long podcast and we got to do and talk about a whole lot of different things that hopefully people will enjoy. So you got any final thoughts? Go ahead.
0: Yeah. One thing I will mention is, you know, we talk a lot about the record and the expectations of this team and, you know, as far as Brent Pry, um, you know, it's his first year and kind of going into this, I kind of thought about it and, you know, I thought about what you said with what would be a good year for Virginia Tech. And I feel like it's, it's more of a quality than quantity thing. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think so
0: far this year, you know, he's a lot of success. I think he would have this year might come off the field versus on the field. And I think he started that. Um, If you've listened to a lot of his interviews and just sort of media spots he's done this year, he's kind of – he's really worked well with the fan base as far as the things he said and the stuff he's done. And I think that's really important because I think, you know, with the past regime, the fan base kind of quit on it. And I think that was a big part of Brent Pry coming in here this year was to sort of not necessarily win over but earn the trust of the fan base. And I think as long as he's able to do that, I think that would be a successful year for him and his staff and the team, because you, contextually, I mean, you have to look at it as there's a team coming off a really rough year. It's a lot of players that he didn't necessarily bring in. He's working with the stat or the player, the roster of the former regime. So if, when you look at it that way, I mean, I think he's already winning the year. And I think that if you hit, you know, six and six, seven and five as, as sort of average as those records sound, I think that is a good year.
1: Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. Couldn't have said it better. I think he's off to the best start he possibly can, especially without coaching a single snap, a single down in terms of the social media presence, Mm who he hired his interactions with the fan base, so on and so forth. So many different things he has done. Right. And I think he's off to the best start that he possibly could have been. And he seemed to have connected with everybody around Virginia tech and has cared. I mean, snowball fight on the drill field, meeting with tech wrestling, as you know, before going to the NCAA championships and the spirit squads the other day, there's just so many things that he has just done right so far. And He's done job number one. He's re-energized his fan base. So I think that's as good as you can say it for sure. Well, if that's all we got, Jack Brizendine, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week, maybe in person. We'll see. We'll coordinate. Classes start next week. So we may play it by ear and figure things out as the season goes along. But for everybody listening, thanks for bearing with us. We'll have some podcasts throughout the year. Jack and I will be traveling to pretty much every single game. I'm planning on going to all 12 in some way, and Jack will – be at a good chunk of those as well. So we'll have a a lot of stuff to report and get back at you. And certainly we'll have some good guests on throughout the year as well. But hopefully everybody enjoyed episode 57 of the Goblin' Up podcast, uh, part of the Fifth Quarter Sports Network and presented by Duncan Mazda in Blacksburg. So thank you all so, so much for tuning in.
0: Really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon.